Steve. That was some good worship. Yeah. Yeah. Pastor Steve picked that. He's a good. <laughs> good. Um, I like how Marie shared, um, like, definitions of, you know, what does it mean to decree a thing. Um, and I kind of feel like that goes um, along with, because where I was starting today was sort of on what Pastor Steve spoke last week. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> oh, Children's Church, I'm so sorry. Thank you. Yes, uh, kids can be dismissed. I'm sorry. Feel free to help me as needed. <laughs> um, but Pastor Steve's message last week, um, he spoke about perception. And um, I want to start with one of the scriptures that he used, and it's Matthew 13, 10 through 7. Um, this is New Living Translation. His disciples came and asked him, why do you always tell stories when you talk to the people? Then he explained to them, you have been permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others have not. To those who are open to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But to those who are not listening, even when they have even what they have will be taken away from them. This is why I tell these stories, because people see what I do, but they don't really see. They hear what I say, but they don't really hear, and they don't understand. This fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah, which says, You will hear my words, but you will not understand. You will see what I do, but you will not perceive its meaning. For the hearts of these people are hardened, and their ears cannot hear, and they have closed their eyes, so their eyes cannot see, and their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand, and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. I assure you, many prophets and godly people have longed to see and hear what you have seen and heard, but they could not. And I just feel like um, what Marie shared, like decree. Sharon reads that every oh, decree every week. Oh, it's good. Um, there are things I think in our um, Christian walk, um, our our Christian life, that um, it's foundational and it's um, it's the basis of what we believe in. And yet, um, I think, do we really fully understand it? And do we, um, or the longer we're a Christian, I think, uh, and I think for me, and I'm sure I'm not, I can't be the only person, but sometimes we become kind of, huh, yeah, or lackadaisical and kind of, you know. So um, before I go any further, I just want to pray um, using the scripture and for the message. Lord, I ask that according to Matthew 13, Lord, that you would open our ears 
to hear, open our eyes to see, and our hearts that we would understand. Lord, that we would turn to you, that we may be healed and not turn from you. Lord, we want to be the ones that are blessed. Blessed because our eyes see and our ears hear what you're saying to us today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so one of the things, too, I think what Pastor Steve shared last week was uh, a few words, a few phrases that um, do we, he said, do we train ourselves to perceive the kingdom? I, sometimes. <laughs> I know I was talking to Billy out front here, and I'm thinking, as I'm telling, kind of telling on myself a little bit, and I'm like, why am I even the one speaking? <laughs> wow. Um, but the whole reason that I can do this is the very thing that I'm speaking about today, which is the blood of Jesus. And it's one of those basic beliefs in our Christian faith that without it, without the blood that was shed, him hanging on the cross, the blood was shed, um, he died, went to hell, took the keys of death, hell, and the grave. I mean, our faith, it's, then we're, we're like other religions that believe he was a good prophet. So our whole premise of what we believe is based on the blood of Jesus. Um, but I guess I, my question is, is if we really had the perception, like Pastor Steve talked last week, if we really had the perception about the blood of Jesus, I think our lives would be very different. And I know even studying this and doing this, I'm like, eh, I got a little peek, a little window. And I really feel like when it's all said and done, I'm only presenting a little peek and a little window for what God has. Um, but what I want to do is to help us understand a little better about the blood of Jesus and the power of the new covenant is I'm going to look back at the importance of the blood of blood in the old covenant and even in some other cultures. Um, so I'm going to start with other cultures first. And I'm going to read from this book, um, The Power of Communion by Benny and Bill Johnson. Throughout history, even in cultures that did not know Jesus, the importance of the blood has been paramount. In the ancient world, a promise that included blood was distinguished as a covenant. It was unlike any other promise you could make. Merriam-Webster defines covenant as a usually, I'm sorry, yeah, a usually formal, solemn, and binding agreement. A written agreement or promise, usually under seal, between two or more parties, especially for the performance of some action. Blood was a crucial part of this contract. By shedding blood, the covenant was an intimate profession of a lifelong promise. In H. Clay Trumbull's fascinating book called The Blood Covenant, he details biblical covenants, but he also examines their 
tradition throughout the world. One example he finds is that of the Karen people in Burma. While retelling this account, he explains that the Karens had three levels of truce making between tribes in that region. The first and the weakest was eating a meal together, which simply signified that there would be peace for the moment. If the tribes wanted to symbolize a stronger truce, they would plant a tree together. With this truce, peace would exist between the two tribes as long as the tree remained, or remained alive. But it was the third kind, the blood covenant, where the true power of the promise was found. In this covenant, the chief stands as the representative of the tribe. The ceremonies are public and solemn. Blood is drawn from the thigh of each of the covenanting parties and mingled together. Then each dips his finger into the blood and applies it to his lips. This covenant is of utmost force. It covers not merely an agreement of peace or truce, but also a promise of mutual assistance in peace and in war. It also conveys to the covenanting, covenanting parties mutual tribal rights. If they are chiefs, the covenant embraces their entire tribes. If one is a private individual, his immediate family and direct descendants are included in the agreement. Life is found in the blood, and by mixing their blood together, the individuals were effectively merging their lives together. Even cultures that have no relationship with Jesus understand the value of the covenant and the importance of the blood. That was neat. I've, I have heard a little bit about some of that before, maybe not that particular tribe. Um, but yes, I don't think our country, other than maybe some um, American Indians, I know I've heard some blood covenants there, but other than that, our culture doesn't really get that as much, which maybe has some effect on why the blood of Jesus is a little not where it should be. <laughs> um, okay, so now let's look at some examples in the Old Testament. Um, the first is being when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. Uh, Genesis 3.21 tells us that the Lord made coats of skins and clothed them. So this is the first shedding of blood mentioned in the Bible. And it was not just to cover their bodies, but um, the blood from the animal was a temporary atonement for their sin. Also in Genesis chapter 4, we have the story of Cain and Abel. Cain killed his brother Abel, and the Lord said to Cain, What have you done? And it's in verse uh, um, chapter 10, I'm sorry, chapter 4, verse 10 of Genesis. The Lord said to Cain, What have you done? Listen. Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. We see here that blood has a voice, and that voice cried out for justice. How much more does the spilled blood of Jesus cry out mercy for us? In the Bible, um, the book of Hebrews, it speaks of this. 
In Hebrews 12, 24, it says to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And I also want to read that um, same verse in the New Living Translation. I really, I really like that. But the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me. Oh, wait, that's not it. I'm sorry. 12. Hebrews 12, 24. I do have that marked. I was in the wrong place. Sorry. Okay. You have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people, and to the sprinkled blood which graciously forgives instead of crying out for vengeance as the blood of Abel did. So um, what, what we see is that, that blood, blood has a voice, and it cries, one cries for vengeance. One cries for mercy. Um, okay, and another example of blood and what it meant in the Old Testament is in Second Chronicles um, chapter 29, 12 through 36. And we're not going to read the whole thing, but it, it breaks down the, um, the Levites, they had to go and consecrate themselves and sanctify themselves before they could even go into the temple to cleanse the temple. So they get themselves ready, they go in and they get the temple ready, um, and then any unclean thing, they had to bring any unclean thing out. And this wasn't like just a one-day project, you know, where we get together and we're going to have church cleaning day. <laughs> you know, this was a many day layered thing that took place before you could even begin to think about bringing the animals in for the sacrifice. And so um, whenever, um, after they did all that, then the animals could bring, could come in to sacrifice. And even that was just a temporary atonement for our sin, um, for the sin of Israel. Um, I do want to read just two verses from that in Second Chronicles, verses 29, 22 through 24. So they killed the bulls, and the priests took the blood and sprinkled it on the altar. Next, they killed the rams and sprinkled their blood on the altar. And finally, they did the same with the lambs. The male goats for sin offerings were then brought before the king and the assembly of people who laid their hands on them. The priests then killed the goats as a sin offering and sprinkled their blood on the altar to make atonement for all the sins of Israel. The king had specifically commanded that this burnt offering and sin offering should be made for all of Israel. 
So the Bible tells us that the blood of goats and rams and lambs provided that atonement for their sin in the Old Testament. Now we're going to fast forward to the New Testament where Jesus comes to be the final sacrificial lamb needed for atonement. So there's no more cleansing of temples, but we are the temple, which is why I think in the scripture, every time we do communion, why it says um, about taking into perspective ourselves internally so that we don't bring a curse on ourselves because instead of cleansing the temple the temple we're cleansing the temple we're getting our temple ready so it's the same importance um, we don't have to do as much physical work but we have to do the spiritual work to cleanse our temple so Okay, so the blood of Jesus. Uh, so what does that do? What does that mean exactly? Um, so we don't have to get ourselves ready. Or the priests, the priests and the, the Levites and they, you know, those in authority, they don't have to get themselves ready. They don't have to do all this. But Jesus came for more than to just save us some work. He didn't come just so that we don't have to do all that work and all that's messy. You know, <laughs> the blood, um, the blood of Jesus does so, so much. And I'm only listing four things today. And I'm sure, like I said, I'm just skimming the surface. But the blood of Jesus grants us several things, and one of the things I'm going to talk about is salvation. Um, First uh, Corinthians six twenty and seven twenty three, uh, they both tell us that we were bought with a price, that we are redeemed. If we've been accepted, if we've accepted Christ as our Savior, and the word redeem actually means to buy back with a price. So we um, we are saved. We are saved from hell but we actually become a new creature, a, a redeemed vessel um, that we were bought with a price. I think I may have saved that. Let me see if I did. Yes. Or don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not, do not belong to yourself or God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. And 7.23, God purchased you at a high price. Don't be enslaved by the world. Okay, and then I want to read a little bit out of this book, um, The Hidden Power of the Blood of Jesus by Mahesh Shavda. That's going back a few years. Anybody that's been a Christian over 20? <laughs> um, okay. To kind of explain, this kind of explains the um, cost, the cost and the value. 
It's kind of a fun story. It says, what's the value of a new BMW? Not long ago, the German automaker introduced a new model in its line of fine luxury cars. The general list price for the new car was around $84,000. Is that a good price? Is the vehicle worth it? How can you tell? Suppose your local BMW dealer has just received the first model of this new model in his showroom. It is the only one on his lot. Now suppose you want to buy it, but feel you shouldn't have to pay more than 65000 What do you do? You might try going to the dealer and negotiating for the, that price. Depending on your skills as a negotiator and the circumstances of the dealer, you might even get it. On the other hand, suppose it is a very popular model and people are standing in line for it. Suppose further that a local millionaire businessman comes in without breaking a sweat and offers $250,000 cash for the car. Between you with your $65,000 and the businessman with his quarter of a million, who do you think the salesman's going to go with? That question's a no-brainer. So, so then, what is the real value of the BMW? Is it the 65000 that you're willing to pay? The 84000 the dealer is asking, or the 250000 the businessman has offered? What is the value of human life? An abortion rights advocate would give you one answer, while a pro-life activist would give you another. People who see the divine image in humanity would answer the question very differently from those who view mankind as merely the end product of a long and random evolutionary process. To find the truth, we need to look to God as look to God as creator. He knows more about us than we know about ourselves. What value does God place on our lives? The answer to that question should be of supreme interest to us. Uh, Simon Peter states pretty clearly, you must know, in 1 Peter 1, 18-19, you must know that you are redeemed from the useless way of living, inherited by traditions from your forefathers, not with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but you were purchased with the precious blood of Christ, the Messiah, like that of the sacrificial lamb without blemish or spot. Paul told the Corinthians, you have been redeemed at tremendous cost in 1 Corinthians. In one sense, the value of a thing is determined by how much the highest bidder is willing to pay. The millionaire was willing to pay a quarter of a million dollars for the prestige of having the first new BMW model in town so he could drive around and show off to all his friends and neighbors. To him, it was worth every penny that he paid. What is our value to God? How much is he willing to pay? God purchased us at a, higher, at a cost greater than we can truly comprehend, the lifeblood of his son. All of the world's known reserves of gold, silver, diamonds, emeralds, and precious metals and gems put together cannot compare to the value that God puts on one human soul. How much are you worth to God? The devil will try to convince you that you're nothing but a failure who has fallen too far 
and sin too much for God to care about anymore. Don't believe Satan's lies. Jesus purchased you, purchased you with his precious blood, more precious than anything on earth. He paid the highest possible price for you and for all of us. Corporately, as believers, we are the bride of Christ. And Jesus paid the bride price for us. And that price was his own blood. I love that, the bride price. So, the blood of Jesus grants us salvation and redemption. And another thing that the blood does is it grants us acceptance into the family of God. Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5 says, But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. So if you are a son or you are a daughter, you're a part of a family. You don't become a son or a daughter if you don't have a family. So we become part of a new family. The family of God, it grants us that acceptance. Not because, what like, like I read, it's nothing, we're not good enough. No, we're not. None of us are. The Bible says, no one is righteous, no, not one. So it has nothing to do with us, or if you're good, or if you're bad, or you're, what you did. It's about the blood of Jesus that gives us these things. The next thing I've listed are his blessings. So to continue a little further in Galatians verses 6 and 7, because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. And um, so if we are an heir, we also receive all the blessings of an heir. Um, good example of this, we just had Queen Elizabeth. And Prince Charles was the heir to the throne. And everything, he received all the blessings that went with being the prince. That when his mother passed, then he became the heir and the king of England. So as we are heirs in Christ, heirs of the kingdom of God, and everything that God, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills and so much more. <laughs> um, so everything he has, we are heirs to. But we, I don't, I don't, I don't think I ever looked at it that way. Like, yeah, yeah, well, if he wants to give it to me. Well, yes and no. I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, anyhow, so we're going to move on because I'm going to get on, on a bunny trail. Uh, <laughs> um, and the last thing on my list, and like I said, I'm sure there's so much more, but the last thing I'm, I'm, I have today is the blood of Jesus grants us access. So we no longer have to sacrifice bulls and rams because Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. And so it's that blood that grants us access to come to God. Um, and we don't have to be shy because the Bible tells us to come boldly, that we can come boldly before the throne, not because you're a good prayer, you're a good intercessor. Oh, you mowed these people's lawn. 
oh, you were really good this week, so you can like go more boldly to God than you could last week, because last week you were all messed up. <laughs> you know, so thank the Lord <laughs> that it has nothing to do about me, because like I said, I told Billy, all, I told all on myself today. <laughs> just like, um, so thank you, Lord, that your blood covers, and I can still have access to his presence and access to his throne. The exact verse is Hebrews 4.16. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. So as we see, the blood of Jesus means everything. Everything to us in our faith. But something that I heard uh, a preacher, um, I think it was Creflo Dollar, I'm not sure, but I think I heard him say once, is the blood also means everything to Satan. The reason the blood means everything to Satan is because the blood gave Satan everlasting defeat. So the same blood that gives Satan defeat gives us victory. Yes. Yes, that same, the same blood. And Revelation 12:11 says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. Yes, so we overcome him by the blood. So now as we get ready to take the communion, I'm hoping that the little bit that I shared changed your perception um, on the blood, on communion, or if you're like, I really, I have no, I already knew all this stuff. Um, maybe it just renewed some things that maybe you'd forgotten. Um, like I said, the longer I'm a Christian, there are things that come up, and it's like a new revelation, even though I knew that. But I hadn't revisit, hadn't visited that for a while. So um, when we take the body and the blood of Christ, we're reminding ourselves whose we are, sorry, and what he did for all of us, and we're to continue to proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So I just pray that today, that as we take communion, that maybe um, there's a little bit more to ponder in our hearts. Um, or maybe today is a day you even find your healing from taking communion just because it refreshed some things for you. And like I said, it was, I'm sure I'm just skimming the surface. There's so much more to the blood. God is so multifaceted than anything I could cover in this little window. Um, so Stanley, if you want to come and present the, the communion. Very, very good. Not just because it was my wife and she made me say that, but it was very, very good. Uh, once again, there were some points that in the, it's, her message has to deal with the communion. It, uh, what happened is, if you noticed, in the Old Testament, uh, she didn't say that uh, they would only have once a year 
they could bring their actual uh, sacrifices to. So they had to gather up all their sins and they would bring it before the priest and then they would perform the blood, the blood sacrifices for the atonement of their sins, which did not forgive it. It just covered it, okay? Today, what we're going to have is communion. And this one, the, 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 this, what we do in communion isn't just for New Hope that has it once a month. You can perform communion in your own home, with your family, with your friends. Jesus says do this when you come together. As often as you come together, you can do communion. And what it does is we don't, we don't want to forget, as my wife said, the blood what the blood did for us, what his body did. And it, I want to read some stuff here that, that I you know, looked up, and, and it'll give you some more on, you know, we go through this all the time. It's not about the bread, and it's not about the wine. You just don't come up here. You're coming up here for a reason. And as I stated earlier, you didn't wait a year to gather all this up so you could come here today and hear me, and then we're going to come around, and we're going to take the communion. What you're going to do is, is you're going to have a chance to have your sins, that if there was any that you didn't know of, you can have them uh, you, you can forgiven. And what you want to do is prepare yourself for this communion. You want to search your heart. If you have any, like, if you have any uh, unforgiving sins that you even know about, this morning's the time. Take care of that while you're back there. Go to, ask God for his forgiveness. He's there. If you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and then you're going to believe in what we're doing here in the communion. Because what it is, is the Holy Communion is known as the Lord's Supper, represents the greatest expression of God's love <coughs> for his people. There's two items that are in this communion, and it's the bread, which represents Jesus' body, that was scorched and broken and <coughs> uh, before and during the crucifixion. And uh, the cup which represents his blood shed, okay? When Jesus walked on the earth, he was vibrant and, and healthy. Jesus was perfect, okay? He didn't have no sickness or, or anything. And, uh, but <clears throat> Jesus went to the cross. He was badly scorched by the soldiers, and his body was torn as he hung on the cross, okay? At the cross, Jesus also took on all of our sickness and disease, and it actually, the Bible says, God placed that upon him, okay? So... That sacrifice would be the perfect sacrifice. The, the animal couldn't do it because it wasn't a perfect sacrifice. It had to be from somebody. So what Jesus did, he gave up his place in heaven so he could take that on. Because there was no other, there wasn't anybody on there. Why? Doesn't the Bible say that after the fall of man, everybody was born to sin? So we had to have a perfect sacrifice. That was Jesus. Uh... So, anyways, uh, don't want <clears throat> at the cross, God also took all the sickness and disease, and He put them on Jesus. Originally perfect and healthy on on G Jesus, originally perfect in body, so we can <clears throat> walk in divine health. That is why the Bible says, "By His stripes we are healed." Okay, as she this morning as she was reading out of there and praying, and that's what I was thinking. By Jesus' stripes. We are healed. So once she started praying, and we're believers, we know that Jesus already went to the cross, and he took care of that. Because what did I say earlier? He placed all the sickness and diseases on Jesus 
So when we pray to him, guess what? He's, he went to the cross for that. And we know as believers, we're going to be healed. So anyways, uh, on over here, it's uh, besides being born again, besides being born again in Christ, healthy body and mind are, are being, <laughs> being born again in Christ's healthy body and mind are the greatest blessings anyone can have. And the Holy Communion is God-ordained channel of the healing in the world uh, and the wholeness. <clears throat> On the night that Jesus was betrayed, Jesus ate his last supper with his disciples, knowing what he, was, what he would accomplish through his sacrifice. He instituted the Holy Communion, Luke 22, 19 through 20, and 1 Corinthians 11, 24 to 25, is where you can find that. So I'm not just saying this. I'm, I'm giving you this so you can look it up. <laughs> and, and you should. Anytime that someone's up here preaching, if they give you that and you don't have a, an agreement with it and you haven't read it, go look it up. So anyways, uh, uh, but when I'm up here, uh, uh, what I'm trying to portray to you is examine yourselves. We're going to start, we're going to gather and we're going to come up and we're going to get the, 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 the bread and the, the wine. Okay, and we're going to take communion. And once again, I ask you that you know, examine your heart. Take a minute while the song's going, and uh, don't feel that well. I can't go up. You know, settle it. Settle with God, and come on up here and and and, and enjoy in this. It's not something we're taking lightly that we are going to just come up here and take a piece of bread and wine. I'm here to tell you the reason why, and I believe I fully explained that to you, why we are here. We are here to remember what he done for us at the cross. Okay?